Shut up and sit down. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to say is... Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I did not have sexual relations with that woman i'm speaking with myself number one because i have a very good brain and i've said a lot of things and i feel like he should have been talking to himself more before he decided to throw that roll of paper towels he he, he said a lot of things this week he did a lot of things he shot a bunch of yeah paper towels in basketball form at at the puerto ricans who needed paper towels for someone who's in the media or likes to be in the media as much as he does, you'd figure he'd be a little better at it at this point. No, no. <laughs> he's, he's, he's not good at that. Oh, God. How you doing, Phil? I'm sick. Oh, good thing you're not in the studio with us. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, can we just say this has been a bad couple weeks? It's just really meh. I mean, we lost Tom Petty. Tom yeah. Petty. Uh, yeah, we've bad. had hurricanes. We've, uh, you know, Tom Petty. We had the shooting in Las Vegas. It's been a rough rough month you know what i just heard driving in to do this you remember maury from goodfellas yeah he died oh oh maury's wigs don't come off even oh, it's, wins. It's, it's bad it's all bad it is it has it been is. a bit we'll make it funny though right we'll, we'll we'll bring some joy to everybody's life yeah we'll try it's, a little, it's been a little soul crushing i'm kind of curious to see how we're gonna make this funny <laughs> <laughs> i will say tom petty felt like the the final nail in the coffin it just was I don't know. It's I just out of nowhere. Really? Not yeah. the not the guy shooting five hundred people from a window. No, that was that was, Petty? that was bad. But Tom Petty was after that, right? So we oh, were right. down, and then it was Tom. You know, then we yeah. lose Tom Petty, who is this? Mm-hmm. Just, just like this gritty guy, you know, just doing his thing. He's <laughs> just doing his thing. Yeah, which just... I'm assuming meant a lot of drugs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. So should we dive into uh, the Las Vegas attack? <sighs> yeah. Let's, uh, let's do it. And we were before we went on air. We were talking about how difficult it is to even have a conversation about this, which isn't preventing others from talking about it. No. But a lot of that conversation feels really strained and, and pointless. And, and is it going anywhere? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't even know if, as a society, we're capable of having this debate. Um, Phil, are we capable? <laughs> I. I'm pretty pessimistic and cynical. <laughs> I, I, this feels like a. Um, you know, as you were just talking, it, this feels kind of like a, a microcosm of our political uh, situation as a whole, right? Like people feel so certain about their opinions. It seems like I, there's just there's no conversation. People immediately go back to their preconceived or their their sort of preformed notions, um, talking points. It doesn't feel like anybody's actually engaging in any real discussion about this. And yeah, I don't. And it, and it feels kind of hopeless. It doesn't feel like anything's. I would be shocked if anything happened or changed as a result of this. There's there's no room for moderation here. There's no. You can't begin to talk about. Well, is there sensible gun legislation that we could pursue? It's not even not even on the table. No, it's it's insane. You you listen to. It's not even the pundits now or the the legislators who are doing it. You can't turn on late night TV without it being this grandiose, just, you know, meta discussion that everybody is having constantly that you, you can't get away from it. And it's like you said, it's it's one side or the other. There is no middle ground. Anymore. So as we as we kind of say that there are some issues that it feels like we talk about in politics that are 
really kind of polarized, right? Like that neither side is going to give on and, you know, one's far right and one's far left. This issue feels a little different to me. It doesn't feel like the it doesn't feel like Democrats are saying all guns need to go away. It feels like they're trying to come up with what would seem like reasonable, moderate proposals. And the Republicans are are not willing to budge at all. Am, am I am I is that just because I come from that perspective or is that actually the, the case? Well, I mean, Paul Ryan did say that they are not moving forward with that bill to allow uh, the silence. Yes, so <laughs> counterpoint to but, you. Phil. But that's that says something that, you know, nobody was really talking about until the attack in Las Vegas on, you know, the Congress was taking up whether to. It was to decrease regulation of silencers. Was that yeah. that was uh, make it easier to buy silencers? Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Which you know that that says something. We're going the other direction, and, and I, it's a good point, Phil. I wonder whether is is the public not ready for this debate, or is it that the NRA is so capable of preventing any kind of moderate legislation? I don't know where what well, makes it, it so difficult. It feels like the public is ready for this. In my mind, I mean, like public opinion polls show that like ninety percent of Americans support like background checks for all gun purchases and some of these kind of what seem like moderate reforms. I don't know if we're unable to get to that though, because we're so embedded in like partisan politics, right? Mm -hmm. That, that, you know, if you're a Republican, the idea of a democratic proposed, you know, solution is automatically leads to uh, resistance. I don't know if that's getting, if it, if, if our, antagonism towards each other is so strong that it prevents us from even doing something that we all agree on in principle, right? And it's, it, the data is uh, just a, a few bits of data. Like putting the United States in a global context really does show the degree to which we are a gun-loving country. Uh, they, you are know, fun. they are fun. They are so the, fun. So the U.S. population is 4.4% of the world's population, yet we own 42% of the civilian-owned guns. Like that's That's stunning. This year, they're they're expecting thirty five thousand people killed through gun violence. I mean, if you think about that, if that were if there was any other enemy that was that was killing thirty five thousand U.S. citizens, it would be a major major deal. But we don't see this that way. It's a it's such a difficult issue to tackle. Uh, well, and this the, the seems. I mean, my impression is that this is a fairly recent thing. I mean, meaning. You know, I, if you went back 50 years ago, right, that the, the, the whole Second Amendment debate was a very different feeling debate. Right. This idea of uh, thanks, Obama. Know, a, right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but the fact that we're talking about like assault weapons and automatic guns and like that this guy had 40, you know, 40 some odd guns in his possession like that. That's it, it, the idea of like limiting guns in any way has become uh toxic it's just yeah yeah yeah. which i don't i don't feel like that was the case 20 or 30 years ago and you're right that's different i think there's a lot of partisan issues where there isn't a middle ground but you're right i think the public in general would say that some moderation some type of legislation is possible but there's just no political movement on it yeah i i mean we've talked about this point i i i do think it's this is probably the most divided point in the country's history since I don't know, Vietnam, something yeah. like that. <clears throat> and you have those narratives of, you know, the left is trying to take away your individual freedoms and, you know, wants to rip up the Constitution and you need to fight back against that. And then the right is a bunch of, you know, gun-loving, you know, 
homophobes and, and racists who, you know, want nothing to do with progressive values and, you know, would put you in a camp or a cage if they had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's insane. This, you can't, I, 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 like, I, outside of what we do, I really have a significant fear of talking to anyone who I don't know well about any substantial political topic, and especially not about gun control. Because they might shoot you? They might shoot me. <laughs> no. No. Both the statement about the, the number of guns and how bad our civil discourse has become. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is, again, it, it, the, uni- the United States situation is so unique. Phil and I were debating the data, but I've, I've seen some data that says that the United States leads the gun per 100 people uh, data across the world, where it's, it's I have 88 guns per 100 people and number two on that list is yemen at 54 mm-hmm. um yemen you know which is not a particularly safe place yeah the, the statistic i mean that statistic gets close the statistic i heard was that we've surpassed now what more than there are more guns than people in the u.s that's yeah that's insane <laughs> well i mean realistically like I, i'll i'll do the counterpoint to this yeah Given the size of the country at, what, almost 350 million people at this yeah. point? I, I mean, the vast, vast majority of the people who own guns are law-abiding citizens who will never have any situation like this come up whatsoever. And uh, um, I lost my train of thought. Apparently, I'm on flu, me- uh, flu medication, <laughs> no. too. Well, the other thing, too, is that it's the, the percentage... Uh, it's a small percentage within the United States that owns a lot of guns, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a fair amount of public that owns guns, and then there's a much smaller, very tiny percentage that owns a lot mm-hmm. of guns, right? So not just multiple guns, but 20, 30, 40 guns. Uh, right. um, yeah, no, and, and you're right that a majority, and most most of the time it's not a big issue until you have something like Las Vegas where it, it, rat- it should rattle you, the you know that violence. and I mean, and the other thing is, okay, so this is changing the topic slightly, but... Should we label this terrorism? Because as I look at this, if this was, if if a Muslim had done this, there was no doubt this would be terrorism. Mm. But because it was an angry white guy, we're reluctant. And I'm not saying, I'm saying we, the media, everybody is reluctant to call this terrorism. Mm. Instead, it's the lone gunman. It's, you know, he's, uh, I think Trump said A country music fan. (laughs) There's been lots of stories about, like, he was a grandpa and a country music fan. Right. And so we humanize him, which we wouldn't do if it was anybody else, especially what we normally consider a terrorist. And I I, I think that's, for me, it was kind of surprising that, and I don't think this is partisan. I think everybody has been reluctant. All of the news media has not been using that that term terrorism. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I personally would call it domestic terrorism. Sure. And I think even someone on, it was the deputy sheriff or someone in the um, Las Vegas Police Department did call it terrorism and then they had to walk it back or, or something yeah. like that. It's, um, I, I don't know. Like it's, it's hard to define that at this point, considering we've been in this, you know, decades-long struggle with, actual international terrorism and what's the dividing line between is it what it does to you know your conception of personal safety and security or is it you know they're trying to change something about your society that's grander than that or you know they're just 
you know, someone just like to watch the world burn. Right. I, right. This is, this is an important distinction. Do we define terrorism by the act itself or do we find define terrorism by who does it? And I think if by not calling this an act of terrorism, and even if we want to say domestic terrorism, we're saying that, well, there's a certain group of people that are committing terrorism and others are not. So it's less about the act and it's more about who's committing it. And that feels problematic to me. What I yeah. found really entertaining was that the Islamic State – Kept trying to yes, say that this they guy. were responsible yes. for it. Yes. Like, yeah, no, we we know it's not you. Just calm we, the fuck down. ISIS wants which everybody, is, <laughs> which is, I guess, pretty unusual. That I guess they they typically don't claim stuff that they don't in some way have links to. So it's kind of weird that they like tried like six times to claim this. It was yeah, that's yeah. bizarre, right? Uh, ISIS, I think, is struggling in Iraq and Syria right now. So maybe they're looking for anybody who's who's mad. Um, so yeah. I I and on the terrorism thing, I think it's worth. I mean, I, I would say that. Uh, either way, it's worth noting the quickness with which we label someone a terrorist if they have brown skin and we kind of wait to see if they're a white person. Yes. Um, but the political science nerd in me says that uh, that we don't know if this is terrorism yet because there's more to terrorism than just killing a lot of people. It has to do with the intention. Correct. And so if he is intending to terrorize people because he has some political you know agenda that he's after um then it becomes terrorism and if it's just a crazy guy uh then it's you know a mass murder right um my guess is that it i don't know I, i it's weird how how hard it has been for authorities to kind of put this guy's life together and figure out what his motivations are right um and as we learn more about that we'll be able to call it that but it, it, it is i think notable the the difference in speed with which we call something terrorism based on who is doing it you're right that we don't when it is somebody of muslim descent we don't wait to, de- to determine their political motivations we just assume that that's the case but right. we do right. uh yeah there's a delay when I don't it's necessarily agree with that well the orlando shooter we did yeah but i mean the, uh, given the evidence that was readily available from the witnesses and sure. testimony and and all of that like you knew exactly what he was doing and there have been plenty of instances uh, i think it was was it san bernardino and a few other ones where they are extraordinarily hesitant to immediately say, sure. we don't know if it's terrorism, you know, the evidence, mm-hmm. we don't have all the facts yet, we're going to release that at a later time. Like, I I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to not immediately call it terrorism, but if there is motivation behind this and there's structure and intent, yeah, you have to label it terrorism, regardless of what the, the race of the person is. Sure. Yeah, so. I, I think you're I think you're right. I think the difference probably maybe it's better to say that the difference occurs on the back end in the sense of there's some hesitation early on, regardless to say we don't know the motivation. But then once we know the motivation, we're very we're very OK calling, you know, a, a Muslim uh, a terrorist. But, you know, Dylan Roof or whoever else. Right. Once we even know their motivation, then we're still somehow more hesitant to call them a terrorist. Well, he was disturbed or he was, you know, mentally ill or, or whatever. Yeah. Well, and even the media, as you mentioned, Phil, the way that they're t- telling stories about uh, Paddock is, is more right. sympathetic to him to say, oh, yep. you know, he, boy, he didn't seem like a strange guy, right? It's, it's, uh, there's a, there's a distinction there. All right, you guys apparently yep. read something different than I did. Yeah. I wasn't getting that impression. All I saw was that he was surly and unapproachable and mean by all of his, you know, old neighbors and whatnot. <laughs> How he set up cameras in the hallway and was shooting through the door at security guards. He sounded like a nut. There was nothing about it, at least that I saw, that was, you know, endearing about him or or redeeming. 
I, I don't know. Yeah, that, that was my. No, that's and, and we will learn more. Again, we're this yeah. is so so recent that more will come. We don't out. have all the facts yet. We'll uh, we'll release a statement as uh, more information <laughs> that's comes right. in. Yeah. Com. <laughs> Should we jump to our second uh, tragedy of the I don't know the, sure. the month or week, which is Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Uh, although this is uh, in a broad <laughs> sense, Puerto Rico is not in a good place. But Donald Trump took a, tr- a trip down there yesterday, Tuesday. Yes. And uh, he met with some people. He was there for a couple hours. Uh, he threw out uh, some supplies. and Quite literally. Yeah, g- gave a speech where he confused a lot of things. Uh, I don't know where we start with this. But I will say on Saturday, <laughs> Trump tweeted 18 times about Puerto Rico. Hmm. 18 times. One of which was attacking the mayor of San Juan. I mean, maybe that's a good place to start. Hmm. Uh Let's see. What did he say here? Puerto Rico. The mayor quote from Trump's tweet. The mayor of San Juan, who was very complimentary only a few days ago, has now been told by Democrats that you must be nasty to Trump. Uh, Quote, they want everything to be done for them. It should be a community effort. Um, They want everything to be done for them was a bit controversial. Uh, (laughs) And (laughs) not everyone reacted to that well. (laughs) I can't imagine why. in, In a presidential administration that has been full of like PR disasters this this seems to be like right up at the top in terms of the just the insane stuff that Trump has said and done like the tone yeah. deafness with which he has handled this mm-hmm. is really mind-boggling yes. to me yeah. <laughs> this is hurricane should not be hard for I mean they're they're terrible for the community but in terms of a president this is you go down. You're sympathetic. You you know you give people some hugs. You give out some supplies. You don't throw things at people. Right, right. If you haven't, for the listeners, if you haven't seen the, the the video or the images of him handing out paper towels, he's literally shooting them as if they're basketballs into this crowd of Puerto Ricans. Mm-hmm. And I think he thinks it's fun. But again, these are I don't know right. you know people who need paper towels, right? But there, <laughs> there are numerous stories like that. Did you see the clip today where he was talking to somebody who had lost their home? And I mean, no. obviously it wasn't today. It was yesterday or whatever. Um, and he said something about how we're going to help you have a good time or something like that. Like, <laughs> it's terrible. Have a good time. Well, yeah, and, and then he was talking to another woman about the water purification tablets. Mm. Um, so the island, like only like 25 percent of Puerto Rico has access to clean drinking water. And so he was distributing these water purification tablets and somebody asked him what they were and he said you put this in water and you wait 24 hours and then you can drink it and he was like you would drink that why would you drink that <laughs> that's terrible like just totally unable to comprehend what's happening around him well and the other thing he was talking i believe it was i can't remember what day it was but maybe it was tuesday when he was talking about that thank goodness that puerto rico wasn't a real catastrophe oh the katrina uh, thing yes yeah. and then he goes to katrina and he talks about the number of deaths and saying you know katrina i think was roughly 1800 some deaths and he and then he asked somebody how many people have died here six only 16 you should be proud of that it, and I, I get the point to say that FEMA has gotten better that the administration is better of, of hurricane aid but that's it's again tone deaf it right. just makes you sound awful yeah well and, and it, I think it, it also shows that his he just doesn't comprehend the situation because the, the the people who I have read who are talking about this say that the problem is really just beginning in Puerto Rico mm. The, the thing is, the hurricane completely destroyed its infrastructure. So there's there's no the roads are in terrible shape or missing. There's no power. There's no clean water. There's no cell service. So you can't get supplies to people. And so it's actually the hurricane itself was a disaster, but it's kind of a looming catastrophe. Right. And sure. he's talking about it as if, hey, good job. Only 16 people died as people don't have 
drinking water, right? It's it's insane. Well, and he keeps saying, and I understand why he wants to do this, always frame this as that he's doing great, we're doing great. It's always, you know, thinking about how this reflects on him and the administration. But that's not the point at this point. The point is really like logistical nuts and bolts, getting people supplies and thinking about the long-term development. Uh, yeah, it's just this should be easier than it's than it is. He's talked about Puerto Rico's debt several times. Oh, that's right, like, the yes. debt. <laughs> Nick Nick was pleased that he uh, that the United States is just going to wipe that just debt out. Wipe it out. Yeah. yeah it's I, did you see that? <laughs> was it Mnuchin or whatever? Somebody walked that back very closely yes, this they afternoon. Did. They apparently had a talk with him on the plane <laughs> about what that would do, and that it sent the uh, the price of. Uh, uh, bonds just tumbling the, the minute that he said that the, the debt is just gone. Yeah. So, so just to put yeah the context of this is that it, Puerto Rico is in the midst of a major debt crisis and had declared bankruptcy. And at the beginning of this crisis, Trump tweeted and commented multiple times about Puerto Rico's debt and how they need to get their like like in the midst of a hurricane. He's focusing on the fact that they have a debt and then randomly was it yesterday that he randomly said something about how we're going to wipe that out to uh heraldo away with that (laughs) so can i can i ask you a a, a, so this is i don't know if it's a dangerous question or not ask away what do you you make of the fact that I, i mean so trump's handling of florida and houston you know weren't like Stellar, right? You wouldn't say that. Oh, he handled that like better than any president ever. But they were, they were, you know, competent, right? His handling of Puerto Rico has been really different. Um, he's been slower to to waive regulations on shipping. He's been slower to send troops and supplies and all sorts of other stuff. Um, what do you make of the different? Like, why is he handling this so differently? Is it? There's lots of potential explanations, but, but what do you what do you make of that? So the, the the insinuation has been that there's a you know because the fact that they, these are not Brown real Americans people. exactly yes there's some racial element to this I I don't know if we can go there I don't know if we can really know what's going on in Trump's head his he's been so civil in other race elements that I you know just, <laughs> so, here's here's my thought on this I don't know if this if that really drives the explanation my thought is that this one was hard. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about Florida and you're talking about Texas, those are difficult ones, but they're within the continental United States. Correct. This was the first, and for both of those, basically FEMA could just take care of it. Mm-hmm. This is the first one that required some independent thinking. It pushed the administration to get outside of the bureaucratic process. And they struggled with that. And he struggled thinking creatively and saying, okay, here's a new problem. We need some initiative. We need to do something. He, I, he, This is not what he does. He's not going to know how to solve problems. He's not going to lead the country. Uh, if the bureaucracy can solve something, he might not get on the way. Mm-hmm. But this is an instance where it took leadership, and that's just not what he's going to do. Well, I mean, I think even from a, a, a FEMA standpoint, regardless of what administration would have been in place right now, uh, I think they would have had a significantly harder time dealing with it. Yes. They just This is something that they didn't necessarily plan for. They... I think they significantly upped their game domestically uh, after Katrina, but I, I, this is just one of those things that kind of got left to the wayside, I, you know. And, and on top of the horrible PR debacle that's you know now circling around it, which isn't helping. But yeah, it's I, I find it hard to specifically blame him in this situation, given the you know massive bureaucracy and infrastructure that goes along with you know emergency 
management, for lack of a better term. Yeah, he certainly could have been better, right? He missed oh, an God, opportunity yeah. to be great. But I think the bar is so low that we're not thinking about Trump taking a challenge and solving it. I don't, I don't know. What do you think, Phil? I mean, do you think that is there a racial element? Is it what's what's motivating the behavior? I don't know. I mean, I think there's something. Um, I don't know if it's the racial thing so much as the territory aspect, right? Like that mm-hmm. that this feels, uh, for whatever reason, they were very slow to respond, right? And and there are there are potential explanations for why their response might be inadequate. I, like FEMA is dealing with two other massive hurricanes that they're that. So, you know, any, any administration would have a hard time dealing with this back to back to back major disasters. Right. So there, there are potential reasons for why this w- would occur, but all of it from the beginning, just in the, the amount of time it took for them to start responding and to start sending true, uh, you know, the, the U S comfort or whatever, um, and supplies, like it, it just took, inordinately long and i i don't know that that's necessarily you know i don't know that that's like an intentional you know they're they're brown and we're going to treat them differently so much as it is i that it's a territory instead of a state mm-hmm. and so i think there's there's that that ask that enters into it as well mm-hmm. um yeah I, I don't know i mean there's i for whatever reason puerto rico is being treated differently right um and i I will say one thing where there is, I think, some element going on. His treatment of the mayor of San Juan, this woman who who didn't even criticize him directly, right. but he had said something to the effect, which he says often, like, oh, it's great. We're doing wonderful. FEMA's doing a great job. Everybody's doing It's great. It's a good story. And she basically on, on TV said, no, this is, this is this not is, a good story. This is a crisis. And, yeah. and so then he goes and attacks her. Yeah. And that is that's bad, right? That's his natural reaction when anybody attacks to, to is to respond and attack that person. And that was yeah. that was tone deaf in this instance, where somebody should have taken his phone away and said, "As a president, you know, this is going to happen from time to time. People are going to critique you, and sometimes it's okay to push back. But in this moment, no, 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 go <laughs> go do something else, right? You know, attack the NFL, do something else." <laughs> so, um. Hmm. Should probably move on. All right, should we, we should talk beers. Oh no, no, no it's no, not beer won't. time. No, the topic I'm most excited Jeez. about. Yeah, I get it, got excited. So, Roy Moore. Now, and I, I, our listeners are probably wondering why are they spending an extended time talking about a Republican candidate for Senate? But I think this is a really interesting story. So, uh, was it too. was it last week that he he won the Republican nomination yeah. for senator yeah. in, in in Alabama? So he still has to face the Democrat, but most people think that it's likely he will win. And Roy Moore is a fascinating character. In some ways, he is the he's the exact he's the epitome of Trump. Although Trump didn't support him, Trump supported Luther <laughs> Strange. The other he's like Trump squared. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and and so now, and the Republican Party is worried. They are very worried about what Roy Moore's election to the Senate, to this high office, is going to mean to the party. I, I, I don't know. I mean, Phil, do you want to talk a little bit about Roy Moore or what, some of the circumstances? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing that that, that to me, like, if you want to know who Roy Moore is. Um, the fact that gives you the quickest picture is that he has twice been removed from the yes. Alabama Supreme Court, right? Yes. From Once the Alabama be- Supreme Court. <laughs> right, right. Once because he decided to construct a monument, a Ten Commandments monument on the lawn. Not 
the Supreme Court decided to do it. He decided to yes. do it without telling the other members of the yes. Alabama Supreme Court. <laughs> Another time because he refused to uh, recognize or, or uphold the Supreme Court decision on gay marriage. Both times he was removed from the Alabama Supreme Court for like ethics violations or whatever. And for the Ten Commandments, he was he was a court told him to remove this. Yeah. And he was like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. It's a man of action. That's right. why he wins. Yeah, and he has made all sorts of, I mean, he is, he's, I mean, all sorts of claims about, uh, I, I had a list of them and I, I don't have them with, you know, about how God's punishing us for gay people and all sorts of other things like that. And it's, um, it's oh yeah, he issues. was the one who argued that, uh, what's his, uh, Keith Ellison, the, yes. the, shouldn't be seated, that, that it was unconstitutional for a Muslim to be elected to the legislature. So that, I mean, the, those sorts of things give you a sense of who this guy is. And he will, unlike, uh, and he will openly say these things, whether it's, it's on race or homosexuality or Islam. I mean, he is out there in a way that Republicans are incredibly uncomfortable. Who's the, uh, not McCain, the other senator from Arizona, I can't think, I'm blanking on his Blake, name. Jeff Flake. Flake has come out and basically said, this this guy is not a Republican. He's, you know, we should not embrace him. And that's that's something to say that he's so extreme that Republicans are worried about this. Mitch McConnell has to be terrified. Uh, so but why won. is this so terrifying to the Republicans? Because if, if they think he's going to win, why is this so scary? Because it fundamentally shifts the Republican Party, right? I mean, it, it says that that wing, the Trump wing, and again, the irony that Trump didn't support him, it would seem like this is Trump's perfect candidate, uh, is able to win, especially when, the, when there are a lot of negative views about Trump out there, that he wins, he wins handily, and he's, pro- he's probably going to go on and become the, a senator. And then these Republicans have to deal with him, and he will be making these arguments on the Senate floor. This is a and, this is a big challenge for Republicans, and it likely means that Republicans are going to have to fend off potentially other uh, ah, challenges right. from the right in primaries, which which diverts resources and cause all sorts of other problems. So, I mean, what does that what does that say? What does that say about the state of the Republican Party and the thoughts of the general population about people like this? If they're so abhorrent to you know, everything that the Republican Party stands for or that we stand for as Americans, why does this keep happening? The people want it, right? And so so you have a situation where this week a number of the never Trumpers, whether it's it's Bill Kristol or Charlie Sykes, have come out, uh, David Brooks in the New York Times, uh, the conservatives are saying that the Republican what we think of as Republicans goes away if 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 Roy Moore and this vision of republicanism wins so they're they're terrified so in my mind there's an easy solution to this which is that republicans can disown him right like i mean republicans can come out and support the democrat in this race if they think that he is so terrible for the Republican Party, but they're not well, about to do that no, that's right? right yeah so yeah. all of this complaining <laughs> it's and alabama lament- Right. All of this lamenting about how he represents all that's bad in the party seems like a bunch of bullshit. Correct. To me. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> Continue, Nick. No, that's, that's all I got. I, I, yes. But it feels like the Republicans are fighting for their soul here. Are they the are they the party of small government? Are they the party of, uh, you know, a lock and this idea of a night watchman? You know, government where you don't intervene in people's uh, daily lives, or are they the social conservatives in terms of issues of race, 
homosexuality, Islam, right? This this is a big, big decision for the Republicans in which way they go. And if the again, we I don't know if Alabama reflects America as a whole, but if the country is moving this way, if conservatives are moving this way, the Mitch McConnells, the Paul Ryan's, all of them are done, right? This is, it means it's a very different party. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this seems like a, a, a at least to some extent, a problem of the Republican Party's creation, right? Like, so what you see is Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and whoever who kind of him and haw about these sorts of issues and they don't come out and take a clear stance because it could cost them if they take a clear stance. But what that does then is feed this whole cycle, right? So you have the cycle of Fox News and all of this kind of, you know, the, the, this, uh, you, you sort of promote this narrative of fear because it helps you win. But eventually that kind of gets out of control, right? You lose control. You you sort of, you know, they, they have uh, they have latched their future to this populist movement, but they're not controlling the populist movement. The populist movement is controlling them. And yeah, I don't I I find myself I find that I'm struggling to be sympathetic. <laughs> um no, absolutely. And I don't think the Democrats are necessarily any better off. I mean, their house is in trouble as well. But the Republicans are, are extremely divided in what, what happens uh, as they move forward. Yeah. I, I saw uh, just today that the the latest poll numbers show that Roy Moore is up nine points or something over the Democrat in okay. Alabama, which is like a solid lead, right? Yes. But in 2016, the Republicans won that Senate race by 30 points. Mm-hmm. So it's it you know he's he's out there, he's still leading, right? He's still got the majority of votes. But but there's at least some element that's a little bit concerned. Do the do the Democrats have a chance in hell of taking this? Seat? No, no. Should they spend any money on it? Zero. Because this is the critic. Well. But this is the criticism that the Democrats have, you know, that if, if the in a number of other uh, legislative races around the country, they, you know, there's a 10 point lead and they're like, oh, well, we're going to save our money for races that are close. And then the race ends up being, a you know, a four point race. And everyone's like, if the Democrats had actually tried, maybe they would have had a chance to win this seat. So I like I, I don't know. I, I, mean, I can't but, imagine a state that nominates Roy Moore would then say, like, eh, let's try a Democrat. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Oh, I, I, I do wonder whether Alabama will play out, whether it's generalizable to other southern states. I mean, does, does Texas move in this direction? I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah. And I, oh, hold on. Let me think. About yeah. That. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, I what I see is a pattern really on both sides, which is because in, in the primaries, you have people who are really pissed off in both parties, like the core supporters who are fired up. Right. And so you've got them going for the Roy Moores and you've got them going for the sort of more progressive liberals on the Democratic side. And what that leaves is like you, you're sending candidates further and further out. And yes. there's this huge swath in the middle that of, of moderate candidates who are kind of disenchanted with both sides. But mm-hmm. but the parties themselves, because of the extreme things that are happening in American politics keep drifting further and further apart. It, it's a, it's a weird like paradoxical situation. But this is, this is what happened. People are going to fall asleep, but this is what happened in France, right? So you had these parties that continued to move to the extremes. And then Macron comes in at this, with this new party centrist party and ultimately wins the presidency. And he's boring. And he is he's boring. Now, now they don't like him, but no, I think you're right, Phil. This is a, this is a test for both parties, whether they can stay centrist, whether we, we're going to see more Bill Clinton-esque type 
Democrats and Republicans or whether we're going to see more extremes. And I, I think in the Democrats, they're pushing further left and the Republicans are clearly pushing further right. Um, I, I, I sort of think that either party could could really uh, run away with the next election if they nominated – I don't know, like Eisen, a John Eisenhower. Kasich, Eisenhower. A John K- yeah, yeah, right. But uh, like a John Kasich type on the right, yes, right? Sure. Who's like this, who, uh, you know, a more moderate type. Maybe I'm totally misreading things, but it seems like that would be a, a smart thing for a party to do. I don't believe that either will do good. I think both parties will likely go extreme next They, they will double down, yes. That's yeah. the thing. I, I mean, you can realistically, at least in my view, you can almost take personality and, and stance out of this it's it becomes a numbers game at some point they don't really care what the person stands for right. they just want the votes they they want control over whatever legislature legislature that you're talking about and they're they're trapped they're trapped by a public which is now pushing them to the extreme right yeah i agree mm-hmm. now we can do now beers. we can talk beers all right uh <laughs> phil it looks like you've put down six or seven beers what do, what yeah. do you got <laughs> so my first uh, was um, uh, Dayquil Cold and Flu. That was my first <laughs> drink of the day. Uh, and I chased that with a Leinenkugel's Oktoberfest beer that I mm. uh, picked up the other day. And it was, it was. now I'm half drugged and a little stopped up, but it, it seemed just fine. <laughs> Speed round should be great for Barker. Yeah. Oh, yep. <laughs> oh, all right. So I had, I started with a uh, fixed gear, which is a red IPA from Lakefront Brewery out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, just, a, I love red reds. They're just, they're great. They're delicious. Yeah. I, I, I need, we need more red beer. Lining Kugel should bring back Liney's Red. That was another good beer. I forgot about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a good one. So I know I very much like this beer. My second beer uh, from Finch Brewing uh, Beer Company, which we've, we've had some of their other stuff. This is their plumage. Is that was that how you would say that? I believe it's plumage. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which is also their IPA, which they describe as a hop forward American IPA. Uh, oh, it was good, Nick. <laughs> they they got the Citra fill. You know I love the Citra hops, yeah. and it was when I poured it out, I thought, oh, that's really like citrusy, but. Mm. Oh, very, very pleased with that one. Well done, I'm, Finch. I'm sending you a bag of Citra hops for Christmas this year. <laughs> this is great. I'll do something with it. Just put it in your car as an air freshener. Mm. <clears throat> I swear to God, officer, it's just hops in my car. Um, I had a, uh, a steamboat IPA from Bent River Brewery out of Rock Island, Illinois. Uh, pretty good. Uh, a little heavier than, than what we've had in the past few episodes. Uh, had a nice kind of um, citrusy, mildly sweet sweetness to it. Mild sweetness to it. Um, yeah, overall pretty drinkable and, uh, yeah, highly recommend. Um, second one, which I'm having now, was a uh, Bent Tuba uh, Oktoberfest from Titletown Brewing. Uh, shockingly, enough, uh, shockingly enough, out of Bre- uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin. Wow. Um, I might have picked that one up, Nick. Yeah. Uh, this one kind of... Oh, hang on. Kind of shocked me. It's a. It's not your typical... It doesn't have, like, the carameliness of, uh, of an Oktoberfest. It almost tastes like a... Um, kind of like an amber ale or a lager mm-hmm. with, like, a kind of a, a strong, tart finish to it. Um yeah, I, I, I can't really tell whether I, I like it or not, but um, I'm going to keep drinking it because it's in front of me. That's a good point. Yeah. Good point. Mm-hmm. All right, speed round. Yeah. Nick, do you have the bell ready? I have it somewhere. 
somewhere. All right. While you're finding the bell, yeah, while you're talking about it, I'll I will go to we'll go to topic one, which is uh, Catalonia, uh, Spain, the Spaniards. Phil, we need to talk about Spain this time. So over the weekend, Catalonia, which is this northeastern province of Spain, is it a province? Yeah. I don't know what they call. It. Okay, uh, had this very. I don't know if we would call it illegitimate or rogue election where they were voting for independence, where they'd see whether the public supported this independence movement. Uh, and uh, I think Catalonia is divided, right? So there's there's half that is supportive of independence. The other half is not supportive of independence. But they had this election and overwhelming, like 90% voted for independence. But the real story here is that the Spanish government showed up and said, uh, no, no election for you, and we're firing bullets into the crowd, and there was violence. So you had a democracy fighting over whether this was a leg- illegitimate or not. Uh, it, it, was, it was very chaotic. Mm-hmm. Phil, you're the comparative politics professor. What should we think about what's playing out in Spain right now? Uh, it, it's kind of insane. I mean, so the, you know, the Catalans have, have won, or there's been this movement for independence for a long time in Catalonia, um, and they, uh, yeah, I mean, I, the fact that they had this referendum was not all that surprising. The intensity with which the Spanish government cracked down on yes. it was pretty shocking to me, um, particularly in the, the light of the not so distant past of Spain, of Franco and, and sort of repressing these, these, these movements. So supposedly people voted overwhelmingly for independence, like 90%. but also only like 40% of people voted. Um, And so there's an interesting problem now, which is that the leader of Catalonia now has to decide whether he puts this referendum before the regional parliament. So basically now, whether he takes this for a full like secessionist movement to the the Catalan parliament, Um, if he does that, he's almost certainly likely to be like labeled. I, I think they were saying that he can be charged with sedition and like thrown in jail. I mean, obviously like um, if he doesn't do it right, like the whole movement, like, I don't know how he moves forward on this. It, this seems like it, it seems like the best way the Spanish could central government could have handled it was just to largely ignore it, right. which they didn't do. Um, and now I don't really know where it goes. Well, I mean, yeah, I, 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 it was horrible optics. You you just see Spanish. Were they troops or were they the police officers? Police. They were police. police. But federal police, not local police, yeah. right? Right. Yeah, like you said, they should have ignored it, considering that every country has said that they will not acknowledge an independent Catalonia. So you just had to let it go. Like I, I mean... There's been enough evidence to suggest that the majority of the population in the region doesn't necessarily support this. And, you know, it's been festering since, what, Francisco Franco. So, I, like, we get the history of it, but, I, I mean, trying to break away from a, a, you know, a Western European country at this point just seems, it just seems asinine. I, I, I mean, both sides just did not think this out well. I know. I, I agree with you. I think the Spanish government responded in a terrible way, right? This is you don't fire rubber bullets into a crowd who's trying to have an election. It's, it's, the optics are awful. That being said, the Catalonians and the, I can't think of the leader's name, uh, the guy who's re- kind of leading this movement. Yep. They're idiots too, mm-hmm. because this is this is so outside the norm of how elections are hap- how happen, how you proceed, the, you know, how you proceed with an independence movement. Right before we went on air, I saw something that they said they plan on declaring independence on Monday. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So this, you, know, well. you 
And the fact that roughly 50% of the population is not supportive of independence means that you can't just run roughshod over everybody else. You know, most people, boy, or 50% of the public, boycotted this election. So if you're going to do this, you know, look at how it played out in Canada with, you know, the, what was the group there, Phil? Uh, the Quebecois? Yep. That yes. group. Uh, you know, they, they, or even in Scotland, right? There are ways right. to do this. And it feels like what, for at least for me, what the Cat- Catalonia is doing is just, it's going to ultimately undermine them. So, I mean, it will be worth keeping an eye on this because there are a number of emergency powers available to the national government in Spain under their constitution that they have already started talking about using, which would like shut down the regional parliament, shut down like regional like news outlets, like all sorts of stuff um, that would be heavy handed, but that would squash this. And Spain is not this is not the only region of Spain. There are a number of other areas of Spain who have for a long time wanted independence. And so. If they declare independence next week, this, I mean, it could unravel really quickly and in a really ugly way. And the European Union has to be terrified about all this, right? The last thing they want is little segments of countries breaking off. And the the other important thing to note is within the Spanish economy, Catalonia is the heavy hitter. They're the ones that, yeah, they bring a lot of income. They're driving their GDP. So for the rest of Spain, this would be a big deal. And I think you're right, Phil, that... Given those economic interests, Spain is going to do absolutely everything they can to prevent this secessionist movement. I don't know if they can do. They just started this off so badly. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I don't know what they can overtly do if they decide to go through with this independence. Non, I'll just call it nonsense. It's more, more rubber bullets. More rubber bullets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it. It is a. Thing in which both sides have sort of painted themselves into a corner, and I don't know how they de-escalate it, but I, I can't imagine that, you know, some like civil war is what people want. But it seems like that's where it's heading if things don't somehow take a turn. Yeah. I say we send Trump in. He'll that's be right. able to figure it out. <laughs> Speaking of de-escalation, oh, Nick, this transition is going to be great. Um, <laughs> topic number two. North Korea. So on Saturday, news broke from uh, sleepy Rex Tillerson that the United States had engaged in uh, back-channel secret diplomacy with North Korea about reducing tensions. The idea being that things have gotten out of control and we would like, we the United States and North Korea would like to find a way of reducing the or tamping down the rhetoric so that we can get back to these issues. Apparently, North Korea has been reaching out to various outlets within the United States saying, like, hey, how can we do this? How can we reduce tensions? Like any, you know, they're saying, like, we're really worried about this. So so Tillerson, undermining the whole idea of secret diplomacy, releases this to the press. Sunday morning, Trump's up early. He's had a couple cups of coffee in him. And he publicly goes after Tillerson saying, Sleepy Rex, no need to do this. We're going to handle this other ways. Uh, and basically squashes the idea of any kind of de-escalation or diplomatic effort in North Korea. He does know that Twitter isn't like an internal email system, right? <laughs> I, I hope so. I don't know. copy all. <laughs> yes. Do you have the language of that tweet? I do. Let me look it up here. Um, it is, let's see here. Where did I put that? Okay. Uh, he said, uh, uh, amid the simmering North Korean crisis, he said, um, uh, where was it here? Oh, save your energy, Rex. Uh, this is wasting your time trying to negotiate with Little Rocket Man. So again, he calls him Little Rocket Man. Mm-hmm. You're wasting your time. And save your energy, Rex. Which in some ways is a jab at Rex Tillerson, 
who's you know so sleepy. he can be sleepy. sleepy. Yeah. And then he he went on to say something about how they were going to deal with it in other ways yes. or something. Which yeah. other ways means military Bombs. ways. Right. Yes. Right. This I mean this goes back to what we talked about last week with your concern that they've basically decided that that the the North Korean regime is is irrational and can't be dealt with. Yes. Um this should yeah. concern us, right? Well, yeah. Till I mean the the news that's coming out now is that Tillerson has wanted to quit for months. Um pretty much since Trump's speech at the Boy Scout Jamboree this past summer <laughs> yes. where he's been calling him a moron and people are telling him, no, just just stay till the end of the year. You know, we'll we'll work on it. And, you know, I guess, was it Pence that went to to talk to him to, to yep. you know, calm him down? Just I was I was telling Bill before we started recording. It just sounds like any person who's in a shitty job at a shitty company who has to deal with a horrible boss who doesn't know anything. <laughs> You know, we're gonna make some changes. It'll be great. You know, it's just just hang on till the end of the year. I promise. You know, it'll be great. It's just, but, like you feel terrible for. Him. But the fact that Rex, Tiller, Rex Tillerson called Trump a moron, right? Like right. that is that's a story, right? And it's <laughs> apparently been confirmed. Like I guess yes. he was asked about it, and there was no denial yeah. that he. Yes, I um, called him a moron. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, these stories that have come out in the last two weeks or about stuff that has happened in the last two weeks makes me like Rex Tillerson a tiny bit more. <laughs> it's the show. Uh, yes. yes. At the same time, like there have been lots of, as a result of all of these stories, a lot of people calling for him to go. Um, what was, who was it? Somebody basically said that Rex Tillerson's been dealt a bad hand and played it badly. Yeah. Um, and that it's time for him to go. And, and, you know, I, 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 I tend to agree, right? Like he's being, He's not doing much, and the little that he's doing is being totally undermined by Trump, right? Like, it's just, yeah. The fact that the North Koreans appear to be the rational ones reaching out and trying to de-escalate this, and we're the ones that are saying, nope, is is mind-boggling. Hey, man, we got him scared. That's what we wanted to do. Along those lines, apparently (laughs) Trump has been telling the administration that you can tell other countries basically that I'm crazy. Yeah. It's the whole the, the, the madman theory. It's, yeah, it's yep. Nixon. Yeah, but, but when you go with the madman approach to things, you don't leak to the press yes. that you're going with the madman <laughs> approach. Exactly. Yes. yes. Tell them I'm a madman. Oh, and leak that to the press as well. <laughs> no, it, it's terrible. Wait, was I not supposed to tell you that. But I can't decide whether it's total incompetence or it's it's just complete. It's a leak problem. It's a leak problem. (laughs) I mean, it's it's clearly dysfunction when you're when your secretary of state is calling the president a moron and saying I can't stick around anymore. Mm -hmm. When the president is is I mean, Trump doesn't understand the madman theory. At a deeper level, it shows the difference between negotiations in the business world and in international politics. In the business world, I get when when a corporation wants to to get all that it can, right? So if you're a multinational corporation, you want to squeeze every little ounce that you can out of another. You can't do that internationally. It doesn't work. If you're trying to negotiate with North Korea, Iran, whatever it is, you have to find a mutually agreement deal so everybody's better off. And Trump simply is not able to do that. Uh, And he's not allowing his diplomats to resolve the problem, which leaves the military solution. And and in the business world, your adversaries don't have nuclear weapons. That's... Such a good point, Phil. You know of. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's 
it's insane. I, I, I mean, I do find it entertaining that they they think that he is legitimately crazy. Yes. I will say this week, and each week we have to take the pulse of where we are in North Korea, but this week you've seen a number of international experts come out and say, I'm terrified of what's happening in North Korea. And, and there have been conversations before, but this week we're seeing something different where people are really worried. So. All right, so continuing with uh, topic number three, we're staying international. We're going to Cuba. Cuba. All right, so this week, the United States has evacuated a number of its own diplomats from Cuba. In previous weeks, you've talked about the fact of this this strange illness that is playing out uh, in, or not illness, but American diplomats and their spouses have been reporting symptoms, including hearing loss, dizziness, balance, visual problems, headaches, cognitive issues, and we're still not sure where this is coming from. So Trump decided that we're going to evacuate a, a good segment of our embassy in Cuba. And then I believe yesterday kicked out 15 diplomats, uh, Cuban diplomats from the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, does, go ahead. And, and we're, we're advising Americans not to travel to Cuba. Exactly. So, so here's the question. Is this a useful response to the crisis or is Trump simply trying to undo one of Obama's significant foreign policy achievements, which was engaging Cuba? Are you implying that he's attacking our own diplomats? I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> Mind blown, Nick. Mind blown. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be the Alex Jones of this show. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't know, what do you it's make a of false this? flag operation? Yeah. We, we know that it, we, the problem with a false flag operation under the Trump administration is that we know that they would leak it. So it's <laughs> a right. false flag. Long. <laughs> I will say that the Cuba this week, in response to all of this, you know, like you said, Phil, the kicking out of the uh, the diplomats, the State Department warning said that this reaction by the Trump administration was quote hasty, inappropriate, and unthinking. Which I like that they go with unthinking. Well, I mean, like what what is the proper response in this situation? You clearly have some sort of issue there that no one can figure out. Yeah. what the cause is, and it's only targeting these individuals. But I will say the U.S. government said we don't necessarily think it's the Cuban government. No, so, but it's something. It's somebody. It's somebody. Right. Yes. <laughs> it's, bizarre that, it's bizarre that we don't know what's happening. I mean, surely we know some, like, we know we what's know happening, more. right? Yeah. We're just not publicly talking about it, or mm-hmm. we have some idea of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, evacuating the embassy, if all of the embassy workers are falling ill seems like a reasonable thing to to do um i don't know i mean you don't you want to maintain kicking the uh, the uh cuban um embassy workers out of the u.s seems like it's maybe somewhat counterproductive uh but uh yeah i mean i don't i I don't know. I think both things can be true again, Bill, that it could be maybe an appropriate response and also an attempt to undo. I, I think, you know, Trump might be especially eager to to jump on this because of the fact that it's an Obama legacy issue. It's it's stupid either way. Well, I, I mean, from a business perspective, it doesn't make sense to attempt to cut off ties with Cuba, considering how much potential business capital you yes. can build up on that island that's 90 miles away and politically americans could care less about cuba right now there's large support for re-engaging cuba so there's no political end here it is i think it's trump literally saying like obama made the his two signature achievements were iran and cuba i'm gonna do everything i can to undermine it which i i get that this whole 
virus thing is it's a it's weird it's that's a whole story that needs to be figured out but i don't know if you resolve that by saying to americans don't travel to cuba and one of the things that the trump the trump administration said is that the reason we're kicking these cuban diplomats out is to make the number the same as have had to flee our embassy in havana well that's just fair (laughs) that's right right but it's also like third grade logic but it's just fair yes (laughs) Uh, you should work on figuring this out, Bill. You could you could figure out this whole random sickness thing, right? If my Spanish was a little better. <laughs> That's the one thing holding you back. I will say, Phil and I, we were in Chile one time, and I was telling Phil that my Spanish was very strong. And we kept going out for meals, and I would order things, and random things that I hadn't ordered, usually double of what I wanted, showed up. And Phil, Phil started to wonder, like, eh, is your Spanish as good as you suggest? <laughs> <laughs> you sound like... Just a prime candidate for the uh, Trump State Department. This is true, yeah. I, I mean, like, I, I, I don't, I don't know what. I personally, considering that uh, relations have been reestablished so recently, and almost immediately afterwards, there's some sort of directed attack at American diplomats at least that we know about. We don't know that anyone else is uh, affected by this. That raises a lot of red flags, regardless if it's the Cubans or not. It's either the Cubans or another government that's working in conjunction with them or some element there that we wouldn't be dealing with if we didn't reestablish relations. Not saying that we shouldn't, but like that's that's a bad way to start things off. And there probably should be some sort of response to that. I think sure, it's a big deal. Yeah. It, it's classic Cold War stuff too, where yeah, this like this so really cool. It, it's it's you know Minus, putting you know the people getting hurt, exploding cigars and all of that. No, yeah. it is it's a big deal and how the I just think the United States could have responded better to this than Meh. just kicking people out and I mean, the ultimate goal <laughs> is that we're going to we're probably remove the embassy from Havana and then we'll force the Cubans out here. I don't know. Yeah. They should just pass out earplugs. That's right. <laughs> solve all the problems. Problems solved. Yeah. All right, Nick. Do we do Tom Price or we go straight to the 45-foot statue of a naked woman? Oh, man. Well, now you teased it. But um, um, no, you can do Tom Price. Okay. Yeah, we'll do we Tom gotta, Price. We gotta, yeah. We'll do Tom Price quickly. Okay. All right. So, Phil, Should Tom Price, time. your favorite administrator in the Trump, mm-hmm. Trump administration, right? Uh, health, mm-hmm. and, health and oh, Human yeah. Services. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who... <laughs> Got himself to trouble. Remind the listeners what he got himself into trouble for doing. Uh, he was taking, um, <laughs> like, I, I wish I had the statistics with me. I should have looked them up beforehand. Multiple private jet flights yes. all over the U.S. for work and sometimes not so much work at taxpayer expense. Um, I mean, he was the one that was flying from, like, on a private jet from D.C. to Philadelphia and back. <laughs> and uh, In yeah, excess were, of half a million dollars. Yep, in like six months, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a million dollars of private jet uh, fees in in uh, in six months. So now, it, and more and more kept coming out. So he finally he 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 stepped down. He resigned um, in response to this, and I guess promised to pay back the the costs of this. Although I will say, he promised that before they revealed like the last one, which was really expensive, oh, and that he hasn't commented on that. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. He he said he would pay it back before he had to resign. I think he was yes. trying to save his job at that point. So maybe that promise is gone. <laughs> yes. um, but it, I mean, this is it's interesting because, um, well, I mean, for lots of reasons, this is yet another like casualty in the Trump administration and, and a long list of them. This is not the first 
there are lots of examples of this kind of blurring of the lines between public and private. I mean, it goes back to the campaign with Trump and, and um, uh, the emolument stuff. But, uh, uh, you know, Man- Man- I can never. Is it Mnuchin or Mnuchin? Mnuchin. I, go, I go the latter, but I don't know if I'm right. <laughs> Mnuchin. Yeah, trying to use uh, uh, government planes for honeymoon travel and for vacation travel and, and all sorts of And if there's anybody more like tone deaf on, it's Mnuchin, who just is like, no, that's okay for me to do. I'm very rich. <laughs> I needed a government phone, so right. I will pay for it. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, go ahead, Bill. No, I was you, gonna, you know, I think the – to me, this is just another piece of the puzzle, which is a Trump administration which isn't concerned with ethics. Yep. And, and it's very different from – both the Obama administration, but also the George W. Bush administration, where this was an important piece to say government is going to be run the right way. We're not going to let economic things drive our policy. We forget that the the head of the Office of Government Ethics, Walter Schaub, he resigned in July and basically went out in a blaze of glory saying that, you know, this is what's going on is terrible. I can't stay in this position because of what Trump is doing. Uh, he said that I think we're pretty close to a to a laughing stock at this point in terms of how the United States is running its ethics department. So to me, Tom Price resigning or being fired is a big deal, but it really only is opening the door to a much bigger problem, which is a Trump administration not concerned about this line between public and private sector. Um, yeah, I mean, especially in light of the fact that, you know, the, the Trump campaign was all about draining the swamp and doing away with cronyism and all of these inside deals that yeah. were happening. And today, you know, I mean, there have been um, uh, stories that have come out about today about Ivanka and Jared and oh, yeah. potential not bribes, but donations to get them off of criminal charges. And um, oh, yeah, I mean. Yeah, go ahead. There's a private email server. We didn't talk about yeah. that. The fact oh, that yeah. after getting busted, they did exactly, well, basically what Hillary did. Um, yeah. Th- yeah. And and there were apparently, apparently there were legal memos written. Another story that came out this week was about uh, there were the, oh, one of the legal offices in the White House um, or in the Justice Department issued an opinion that said that uh, Trump could not appoint Kushner and other family members to these government positions. And the Trump administration overruled that and overturned that. So like all of these, you know, yeah. there's this long list of, of for, for a person who ran on this promise of cleaning things up and whatever that meant. Um, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> hilariously corrupt, right? Like obviously and overtly corrupt. If he wasn't so good at hurricane response, you know, maybe we'd let him slide. <laughs> <Right>. But. <laughs> Well, I mean, all these guys are rich. They can pay it back. That's true. It's fine. Like, it's just going to take a couple weeks to get a check. And you do need your Health and Human Services Administrator to get places quickly. Right. You think he's going to fly on a jet with a bunch of, uh, with 200 pores? Right. We we don't do that. No. He'll get sick. Right. Those people don't have health care. (laughs) No. Can we That's a suicide mission. (laughs) On the idea that these guys are rich, can we at least mention the, did you see the, the, press conference with uh what's his name gary uh Cohn, who was talking about tax reform oh. and how this, this tax policy could mean up to a thousand dollars back to middle class families and that with a thousand dollars you could do something these families could do something like renovate their kitchen or buy a new <laughs> car <laughs> buy a new car like he thought clearly thinks that you a, a new car costs a thousand dollars history is we're gonna look back on this oh. it's one banana michael it how is how much could it cost ten dollars <laughs> <Right>. exactly <laughs> all right
right. Time yeah. for the 45-foot mo- woman? Yeah. All right. So most of our listeners probably have, you know, we dig deep, Nick, to find these stories. <laughs> I so, saw this, like, first thing in my newsfeed today and just had to pass it up. So I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> so, all right. So to our listeners, uh, a 45-foot-tall statue of a nude woman weighing in at 16,000 pounds is being debated about whether it should be placed on the mall in Washington, D.C. for four months. This statue uh, would stand in a yoga mountain pose. Phil, do you know what the yoga mountain pose is? Sure. Okay. (laughs) Near the Washington (laughs) Monument, facing the White House, depicting a strong woman feeling confident in her body. Now, my favorite part of this is that they asked the spokesman for the National Park Service uh, what he thought about this and whether this was something that was going to occur. And he said, it's plausible. (laughs) <laughs> As with all First Amendment activities, our review is to ensure public safety. And I don't know how a 16,000-pound, 45-foot-tall statue of woman affects safety. Uh, and that the park resources are, and values are protected. We do not take into consideration the content of the message presented. I feel like you should. <laughs> Well, but maybe that's just me. Nick, right. I think this is fantastic. This is what I want. I want a 45-foot nude woman facing Trump saying, like, I'm watching you <sighs> in yoga pose. As long as that's, like, I, I don't know what that pose is. But if it's appropriate, bring it, Nick. Like, why? What? Why not? What is the why possible not? fucking purpose of this? Like, the, you want to talk about... You know, the excess of government and, you know, what what you could be doing with with government funds or or just funds in general. And, you know, how people don't have what they need in this country and the homeless situation is out of control. Government you want to erect, you know. But this isn't government yeah, erected. No, 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 I'm not saying that. No, I'm not saying that. It's free, Nick. It's free art. Oh, God. This, this equipment wasn't so expensive. I, no, I, I, I'm not saying that's government funded, but I, I'm saying like it's it comes from these people that it, it's what we spend our money on is is wasteful and, and just the the just the tone deafness of this. Like I get what statement you want to make. Yeah. Do you think that? The money and resources and time and even the materials couldn't be put to better use than this? Answer me, damn it. I think this is wonderful. Phil? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I see your point, Nick. I think anything, like, there could be better use for the funds, I suppose. So, I, I mean, I get your point. But at the same time, like we've also been arguing for like free speech and all of this other stuff, right? That like just because you disagree with their opinions, you shouldn't shut them down. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. But <laughs> I also see where this is like. Uh, surely the whole like the the message doesn't matter can't be totally true, right? right. Like, can I if put I propose a putting foot, like a, yeah. Go ahead. If I proposed putting a 50-foot-tall, like, ISIS flag on the right. National Mall, they wouldn't say, free speech, the message doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> no, that's, I think that's totally true. Yeah. And the poor National Park Service, which has to make this call, is put in an awkward position. I just I, – I, I love all of this, Nick. And I know you don't, but it's to me it is – Oh, I find it super entertaining. Yeah, but, and – Because it'll never happen. No, I think it might. I don't think it will. You don't think so? No. I, I think this – 
this got legs in a couple of news outlets and people ran with it and I yeah I don't see this ever happening. I hope it happens. Maybe. I really hope it doesn't. It, happen. We could we could revisit this topic again. I'd rather not. But yeah, <laughs> let, okay, we'll have a discussion I, about I, it. And I, the content of our discussion doesn't really. Matter. No, I, I get that there are logistical <laughs> challenges, and I think you're right, Phil. That you know, a, you know, if you want to put an ISIS flag, that goes too far in it. But it raises this question of what is too far. Now I get. The symbolism of a naked woman maybe pointing angrily at, at the White House. That's, Why? <laughs> Why do you get that? Because of all the other stuff. What? <laughs> what other stuff? Well, you don't. I, like, you should get. I mean, you get that right. Like, you might think it's dumb or disagree with it, but you get the symbolism of it, right? Yeah, I get. I, yeah, I understand the symbolism of it. But why? What is it like? What is it helping? Like, oh, nothing. Nothing. It's not helping. <laughs> you know, it's not. But if you could put. So the, let's say this was a statue of the. The mayor of, of of San Juan, pointing. Why would you want that? Vengeance, vengeance. <laughs> that's, Nick. What, that's what it is. <laughs> that's what it, it's. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's just. I, I, it's just dumb. I I'm would not. like. I would have paid good money to be in the room when this paperwork landed on the head of the National Park Service's desk. This, like, request. And he's like, Jesus Christ. I'm sure sure there was a, oh, boy. (laughs) How do I got to handle this? That's the beauty of our political system right now is that we're trying to challenge norms, right? And and Trump does this. And so Mm. I'm guessing part of the intent of this is to challenge Trump in the way that he has challenged other norms, to say that, all right, you're going to do all of this. You're going to shoot baskets of... of, uh, you know, paper towels at people. We're going to challenge you in an increasingly awkward way. But you're not challenging him. You're challenging these poor sons of bitches who are part of the bureaucracy that shouldn't have to deal with shit like this. But, but the symbolism, I mean, symbolism like this matters, though, to some... I mean, Yeah, of course symbolism matters, but this this just feels like an overstatement, and you're, you're trying so hard to make a over-the-top, borderline, troll-like statement. Like, it's... it's it's just unnecessary. Our, our, our president might be a troll, though. Yeah, of course. So <laughs> sure. why would you want to exacerbate that? You oh. want to play into that? In four months. <laughs> if it goes up, Phil, we'll take a trip out east and we'll do the podcast there. Oh, that would be great. Be great. Of course. Yeah. yeah. You know, we forgot to do shameless plugs at the beginning of the yeah, episode. we did forget to do yeah. that. That's my bad. Um, yeah, so what the hell are we on now? Uh, we are on, uh, hold on, I'm trying to do multiple things at one time. We are on Facebook, we're on Twitter, at uh, Barstool, so Facebook, we are at Barstool Politics, at Twitter, Barstool Paul, P-O-L. The email has been light, so if you're still listening, that means you're probably a diehard listener, so uh, BarstoolPolitics at Yahoo.com. Maybe most importantly, uh, review us on iTunes, right? Yeah, review us on iTunes, uh, check out our beers on Untapped, we rate those every week. Uh, yeah, suggestions... Um, on topics or beers or anything like that, send to the email. Um, we put up little snippets of each episode on Twitter and Facebook um, through Anchor, so you can listen to those or share those with people really easily. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's where we're at. We're in so many places. We're, we're doing well. And yeah. last week, so last week we did double episodes. We oh, like we had a huge listenership last week. It was good. Yeah. 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 Good. Thank you, listeners, and keep sharing us. Yes. Phil, anything else from you? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thanks, guys.